Well, John, it's time that we get another episode of the Three Down Greencast cracking. Oh, uh, that's what? awful, wasn't it? That is, that's like, uh, I'm the dad here. I should be the one making dad jokes like that. Ah, you know what? I don't think you have to actually be a dad to make dad jokes, do you? Uh, well, you just proved that you don't, because that was an A-plus level of dad joke there, Jewel, so well done. I, I, I applaud you, but I'm holding my microphone right by my face, because I still haven't gotten a proper mic like you. <laughs> well, I mean, and I, I'm not going to lie, I, I kind of thought about that one for a little bit. It didn't just come to me as we sat here talking about nothing before we <laughs> officially start talking about nothing and put it on the Three Down Nation greencast on threedownnation.com. <laughs> Take a drink for every time Joel just said Three Down Nation in that intro. Woo! We're getting Woo! drunk. <laughs> Speaking of, speaking of drinks, what is the uh, the beer of choice tonight, Joel? Well, so, you know, it's it's kind of the season right now. Everyone knows I love my IPAs. I'm coming around on sour beers. I love a good brown ale. But you know what? When the temperature rises and it's stinking hot like it is today, I don't know what it was like in Saskatoon, but down here it was, it was really windy, but it was still really hot and kind of annoying, frankly. Because, yes, I'm that guy. I complain about the heat, but I don't complain about the cold, so deal with it. No, that's true. I have never heard you complain about the cold. Anyway, so when that happens, you know what? Sometimes I just want a beer that, frankly, tastes like beer. So courtesy of my good friend Mike Torrey at a Parallel 49, 49 Parallel Distribution, I got a nice craft uh, lager from Parallel 49. And uh, what do you got, John? Uh, um, well, I'm coming off of, I have to put back on all the calories I just burned off playing Shinny for an hour and a half. Uh, so much to your recommendation uh, and more love for Rebellion, I'm going with the Rebellion IPA, which uh, the can is very eye-catching, I must mm -hmm. admit. It the, is design work, the design work in all those cans done by like tattoo artists in the area, all their cans just look amazing. Oh, it, it's incredible. You have biplanes fighting Godzilla by a grain elevator. It's, it's, it's delightful, it's tasty in my mouth. And I love a good IPA uh, all the time, especially after a skate in my uh, quite cold air-conditioned basement. But I'm not going to complain about that either. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I'm glad I made the choice I did on the beer because there's a couple lentil creams sitting in my fridge that I almost decided to take one of those. But then we would have been unofficially brought to you by Rebellion Brewing again, which this, is, this, this isn't a thing. This isn't actually happening. But again, Mark, I mean, if you're listening... We'll keep talking about you if you want to help us out a bit here. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just do saying. it. <laughs> do it. That's all we ask. Just do it. Just, just. This is proof. We will work for beer. I mean, it's almost just as good as getting paid, isn't it? Uh, basically. I have I mean, a real job now, so I can work for beer from time to time. Beer is pretty expensive, so uh, it's, it's, it's practically money. If you get free beer, you could, quote-unquote, not resell it and make a killing, right? Could you sell it on Kijiji? Is that a thing you can do? Like, if we got free beer from Rebellion, not that I ever would, could you hypothetically sell it on Kijiji? I feel like the SLGA would come at you hard for that one. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, there goes my master plan of monetizing this podcast. I guess it's back to working for free. Nah, you're just going to have to live with that for at least another week, John. <laughs> so anyway, enough of that nonsense. We got... Uh, Basically, two things we're going to talk about on this podcast in kind of a broader sense. We'll, we're going to get into training camp in a second because that smell, football is in the air. It's right around the corner. We can't wait. But after that, we'll also, we have to talk about Darian Durant. Basically, everything under the sun has been said and written about him over the last little while. But 
we're going to have to talk about him anyway because uh, he's kind of a big big deal around here. Yeah, yeah, uh, naturally. And a lot of uh, upset Bomber fans, including uh, yours truly, um, of course, not hiding the fact I am a Winnipeg Blue Bomber fan living in Saskatchewan reporting on the Riders. But uh, needless to say, I'm not quite as salty as others, but there's a little bit of the salt going on. Yeah, it's understandable, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, training camp opens this weekend at Griffith Stadium in Saskatoon, as it has for the last number of years. Just basically the perfect facility for training camp. Everyone, ha- no one gets to go home at night. Everyone gets to hang out together. They get, you know, they get treated well. They have all the right facilities. They have everything. So it makes sense that they keep bringing it up this year, every year. Plus the whole provincial team, blah 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 blah. So. The question is, what is the thing to watch at this training camp? I have a piece. It's probably up on 3Down Nation now by uh, the time this podcast makes the website. Believe it or not, all the contributors are actually organized this week. Drew sent out an email with an update and everything, and he was asking for a season preview update. Uh, Training camp preview stories, and for some reason, it all got us in line, and we all wrote them, so they're all planned for the rest of the week. So unless Justin Dunk has the biggest scoop of the century tomorrow and all hell breaks loose... You'll probably see it on uh, 3downnation.com at about the same time as this podcast comes out. And dunk bombs are a thing. They can happen at any time and unexpectedly. He can just dunk on our plans. (laughs) (sighs) This podcast is actually brought to you by Dad Jokes. (laughs) (laughs) If that was a thing, if they had, like, Dad Jokes as a company that had money, I think they would probably have the lowdown on this episode. Rebellion beer and Dad Jokes. Booyah. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so the way, the way this camp is shaping up to me, the way it's likely going to look is number one, and we'll start with this. Number one, is Zach Caleros going to be the quarterback that they expect him to? I don't think there's any question that given the money they've given him, that he's going to be the starting quarterback for this team, or he's going to be given the opportunity, at least, to be the starting quarterback for this team. So, will he adapt to the system that they have with Stephen McAdoo? Will he be able to withstand the grind of camp and the grind of the season? And, you know, just what will this team look like with Zach Caleros? And yes, it's the easy storyline because it's the most important position in football. But, I mean, it is one that has to be answered in the next few weeks. He will adapt to the system. I think he's going to do just fine in the Stephen McAdoo system. Um, I think he will come out of training camp as a starting quarterback, but like Zach Caleros always seems to do, I think at some point this year he's going to get hurt, and I feel like this has put just a tiny chip on Brandon Bridges' shoulder. This is a guy who's got some NFL aspirations down the road, has proven he can at least compete at this level, and I think bringing Zach Caleros is going to motivate him even further. So we're going to have the very first bold prediction of the year, I think Calaris is going to go down for even, say, a three- or four-game stretch. Bridge will come back in, and once again, there will be quarterback controversy in Saskatchewan. Because I feel like Bridge will come in, play well for a few games, you know, show some of the form he showed in that weird platoon situation with Kevin Glenn last year where Kevin started, played a series, and Bridge would go out and win the game. Um, I, I think that Caleros, uh, typical Caleros injury is going to leave him out of the lineup and open the door for Brandon Bridge late in the season. But coming out of camp, I think Zach Caleros will be the number one guy, and I think a large reason of that is the fact that he is a veteran guy. They trust him, and they paid him a whole boatload of money to come in and be that guy. 
Yeah, number one is obviously always going to be the money. If you give the guy the reported money that he's getting, you're not going to say, okay, you're the backup, go sit down, unless it's truly, you know, he's truly awful and there's nothing you can do about it at that point. Yeah. I, th- I think what Zach Kolaros has going for him, and I said this in the piece, is, and we've I've said this before, and I think we've said this before too, he doesn't need to be 2015 MOP level Zach Kolaros for this team to have success. We saw this team win a decent number of football games last year, frankly, with average quarterbacking. So yeah. all he needs to do is get the ball to Jaron Carter, get the, goal, the ball to Naaman Roosevelt, get the, goal, the ball, I keep saying goal, keep getting the ball to these guys, <laughs> and... Let them do their thing. It just it'll make his life easy, and he will look good. He'll say, "Hey, look, Zach Caleros is back. He's being a great guy. He's being a good quarterback." Blah 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 blah. But maybe all his passes are like four yards, and then Don Drawn Carter runs for like six. So, you know, that's really all he has to do, and this team should be fine. Now, that's not saying that he shouldn't achieve. He shouldn't strive for more. That it shouldn't. That the team shouldn't hope that they see MOP levels Zach Caleros because if they do. It could cover up a lot of the other flaws that we might see on this team out of training camp when we're at this point where we don't really have some answers. No, absolutely. But I, I think, too, with Caleros, I, I think he's going to get a real dose of what it's like to be the quarterback in Saskatchewan this year because uh, we're talking about training camp. And, Joel, I can't really think of it. And, and, and you and I, and I'll be the first to admit it, when I worked in radio, I dreaded training camp. Most people would say, oh, it's a lot of fun. You get to be outside, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) A lot of years, you're just finding a way to retell the same story every two or three days, right? It almost seems like there's just there's so little intrigue with this year's camp. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember you and I were both covering this team a couple years ago when, you know, it seemed like every second day we were both, you know, doing stories on on the Dan, the Dan, will Dan Clark be the starting center for the Riders? Like it was that. Well, maybe I tried well, a little harder than you did. Yeah, that, that's fair. You also made a lot more money than I did. So and worked for a company that actually cared a lot more about your content than mine did and gave you freedom. And OK, I'm going to stop ranting right now because I still try to work for them. <laughs> that sound you hear is a bridge burning behind John Fraser. <laughs> oh, no, I, I burned that bridge with atomic fire on my way out. Um, but needless to say, he's going to get an introduction to uh, I, I, could you imagine like like the green zone and the sports cage? All the talk is going to be about a bunch of armchair quarterbacks sitting in the stands at Griffith Stadium, mapping out their own every single little pass that Caleros makes to, to you know, 12 string receivers at some point. And he's going to get a real taste of what it's like to be the quarterback here in Saskatchewan. Now, that, that's not saying that Hamilton didn't care because, mm-hmm. I mean, Hamilton is very much a, a passionate fan base market. But there's just something different about being here in Saskatchewan. I think Caleros will be prepared for it, but... I think he's going to have a lot of, you're going to have that random reporter show up half disheveled, ask him about being the starting quarterback about four days into training camp (laughs) after he's already been asked 102 times by the rest of the media. That's there every single day. And then he's going to turn to Jamie and I and say, great question. And then wink. (laughs) (laughs) That's an inside joke that you would have to have been at camp a few years ago. And I don't really feel like telling that story right now. Um, Anyway, I mean, that that's a really good point, but I, I think at this point in his career, Zach Caleros is the professional. I think he understands. I mean, he, he's been around. He's been through this city before a few times. He's been around the block. I'm sure he talked to a lot of people as soon as he came here. 
namely, I'm sure he knows like Darian Durant and Ricky Ray and all these guys that have been through this grind of this league and everything numerous times over. And I, I, I don't think that's really going to be a big issue for him. Will it be an adjustment? Sure. But I think he's going to get there. Yeah, no, no, no. I would, I would agree. Um, I'm, I'm just more, I guess, in a roundabout way, too. I'm saying you, you asked off the top, what should we look for at this year's training camp? And mm-hmm. uh, I really can't think of any other real significant storylines. Maybe the running back battle. Who's, what are they going to do behind Jerome Messam? Um, maybe some offensive line stuff, but just nothing that's really going to capture the attention, right? Although I do find I find it funny as anybody from Saskatoon that's listened, and I think the city as a whole has done a really good job of like learning to stay away. Like now, I think I remember the first year at camp was here, and people would actually attend the walkthrough. And people yeah. would be there, and it's a bunch of guys in shorts wearing funny hats, not doing anything. So now, as we head into you know many years later, it's funny the walkthroughs were no longer attended, but uh, practices were. So if you are going to training camp, if you are going to go watch, you're coming in from out of town because you know what? In fairness, it's a cool little experience to check out. You know, I wouldn't go every day like some hardcores do, but. It is. It's fun. Bring yep. the kids. You know, check it out for an afternoon. There's always chance. Just- the, 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 the biggest reason to go, unless you're a true football nerd, especially if you're bringing your kids, is to chat with the players and get an autograph after practice. Oh, oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah. And the players are so... That is one thing with, with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders players. I think everybody on this roster knows what they mean to this province, and they take the time to smile and take pictures and meet people by the fence and sign autographs. And, I mean... Heck, even the little things like they're soon going to be asking everybody in Saskatoon to borrow their bike so they can bike from their residence over to the um, over to Griffith Stadium. So it's uh, I'm surprised that that usually starts like a few weeks out. I'm surprised that hasn't even started yet, to be honest with you. Maybe I've been too busy with my real job that I haven't been on Twitter. Oh, it's entirely possible that that could be me, too. But I think the best solution to that ever was Brennan Labatt and his old man scooter. That, yes. thing, that thing was amazing. The, the Labatt Mobile, yeah. I'll never forget being at training camp, and I was probably chatting with you and not watching practice and seeing Brendan Labatt's old man's scooter that didn't feel like biking. So he would jump on this old, like, battery-powered rascal and drive it from the residence over to practice, and the Labatt Mobile was born. And given his racing background, I, I believe he actually did a little bit of tweaking to it because it was it was his grandfather's or something, and it was sitting around his property. And I, re- I remember doing the story with him about it because it was kind of fun and it was kind of cool. But I think he actually did a little bit of work on that thing to get a little more power out of it than you would your average scooter because, I mean, that's a pretty big man that's being wheeled around on, <laughs> on, a, on a thing say. that's meant for, like, a 95-year-old human being. But speaking yeah, yeah. of Brennan Labatt, I think... The number two storyline for the offense is going to be the offensive line and how this is going to shake out. Because on the conference call last week, Chris Jones almost left the door open to possibly playing only two Canadian offensive linemen in Dan Clark and Bernal Labatt, basically. So it sounds like Thaddeus Coleman's going to be a tackle. The other tackle is, is a spot that could be open and so is a guard. So that leaves the door open still for Darius Bladdock and for them to go with three. So... I think overall, like generally speaking, the talent is there. It's just where are people going to fall and how do they really make the ratio work? And this kind of falls over in the defense as well, where it seems like, and we'll have to see on the first couple of days of practice, I can speak English properly, that (laughs) 
Sam Hurl might not start a middle linebacker, as, as it was said last week that Sam McGuavin was going to play there, but he might actually start at Will, which I don't know he's done a whole lot of in his career. Yeah, I, I again, he's a good spe- – as a guy that's watched a lot of Winnipeg football games the past few years, if you're counting on Sam Hurl to be a starter – that's not so good. So I think the Riders, their hand is going to be forced, and I think they are going to have to play the three offensive linemen because I, I, think, I think that's the best move. Regard, I think that's the. I, don't, I honestly don't think any team in the CFL should ever start fewer than three Canadian offensive linemen, unless you just have stupid Canadian depth everywhere else. Well, no, and I would agree, and the Riders don't have. I mean, if they were able to, you know, if they were able to bring back Henoch Mwamba, then you could start making that argument. But if you're looking at Sam Hurl as a, as a starter, as a guy that's watched a lot of football, I just I can't picture him as a starter, even at Will Linebacker. I mean, maybe he's a better fit there, but I, ugh, that's just that is that might be the biggest hole in this rider roster that i can think of heading into camp so i wouldn't be surprised to to see them their hand will be forced to go into the three offensive linemen now on 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 top of that you know we keep talking about the canadian offensive linemen and no real mention of josiah st john is this a make or break (laughs) yeah i liked it um, is this? Do you think this is going to be a make-or-break camp for former number one overall pick? I don't know if it's a make-or-break camp, per se, because he could have a great camp and make his way into the lineup and still mess the bed. So I feel like it is. It is. it always is that kind of year for Canadian talent, where at least highly regarded ones, ones you expect to start, where it's kind of year three is where you figure out what they really are. And I feel like this is that year for Josiah St. John. Is he a starting line offensive lineman in this league? Is he at least a rotational guy in this league? Like, he's barely seen a sniff through two years. And year one, we get it. He missed camp because of his agent and blah, 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 blah. But last year, you didn't really... I mean, we, we, we weren't to practice every day. We didn't really see it. But, I mean, I don't know. I still We still don't know what he is in year three. And that's generally rare generally you see year three you see okay we know he's at least this but can he be this or is he going to stay this or drop down to this instead we frankly just we don't know what he is at this point and that's just this is weird well and if chris jones is talking about a plan of potential in the starting two canadians and two very veteran canadians along that offensive line is he thinking the same thing maybe that maybe he's not so high on saint john maybe I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but, I mean, if you look, okay, so you, you go two there, and then you start Sam Hurl at will, and you start Jerome Messam at running back, but there's no one behind Messam. Is Cam Judge going to be anything yet? Is he going to stay with the team this year, whatever that was on Twitter last year? Like, I mean, there's still so many question marks behind those other guys that you almost you almost have to get to the point where you have to start all three linemen. You start Sam Harrell and you start Messam just so if one of them does get hurt, none of their backups that are Canadian have to play. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Cameron Judge, there's another guy I kind of forgot about because we didn't see a whole lot of them last year. And again, this all goes back to what we say once an episode. So everybody finish your drinks. It's This team has done a pretty piss poor job of drafting developing talent. Yeah, uh, there, there's no way around it, and that's where this starts to rear its ugly head. We talked about it ad nauseum. They have the starters. 
relatively speaking, you have at least six guys that you say are for sure. Then you have kind of a, a hodgepodge of other guys that can make up the seventh. So all of that works after that. It's just the, the ratio is going to be tricky this year. And it's going to be, they're going to try to work it all out, I think, kind of between those three spots. You mix in a Spencer Moore every once in a while at fullback, and it goes from there. Unless someone like Bailey behind Rob Bag steps up, and all of a sudden you can say, okay, we can start two Canadian receivers, but then a good American's going to have to sit, and where do you go from there? So it's just, it's a really convoluted situation where I don't envy Chris Jones on it, but he, he made his own bed here. No, you're absolutely correct on that one there, Joel. But, well, let's talk about some positives because I always get ragged on about being Mr. Negative around here. And <laughs> there's two really, well, three strengths of this team going into this year, I think, and when you go into training camp. Number one, the receiving core is back from last year. It's stacked as ever. We've, we've talked about the talent there. There's no question about it. But the interesting change for me that where a strength has appeared on defense now is along the defensive line. And we, yes. we, we know the names there, Willie Jefferson, Zach Evans, Nick James, Charleston Hughes. They might actually be able to go with a four-man front this year every down. And it's basically Chris Jones has his defensive line back that he had in Edmonton when they were so good defensively. And basically, no quarterback stood a chance against them. So I'm not saying that defense is going, that defensive line is going to be that level. But at least they have the potential to finally maybe get some consistent pressure on the quarterback from someone not named Willie Jefferson this year. And that could make a huge difference for what could be a weak linebacking core and maybe a, a, a very good and could really help what's already a pretty good secondary get even better. Well, and you said it, Joel. I mean, all that success that Chris Jones had in Edmonton, it started at the defensive line and he finally has that here in Saskatchewan. So, or or does he perhaps look at? And you see some teams starting to do with this, and maybe he rotates in his three-man fronts, and much like he did last year, just keeps rotating guys. Defensive line's a hard position to play. Mm -hmm. He just keeps, you know, keeping the bodies fresh, keeping them coming at the quarterback, keeping fresh legs out there. Like either way, he's gonna have options. He's gonna have a pile of weapons. And you're right, that is an absolute strength of this football team. And and, and I would say for the first time, that makes this. Team team look a little like those Chris Jones teams in Edmonton again he had some better players at, at middle linebacker but yeah it was all about pressure and pressure and pressure and as we know you know he's still heavily involved with that defense uh, I, I I like the way that defensive line is looking yeah uh, I, I think last year it's safe to say that the defense was the strength of this team and it probably will be again this year so there's a lot to look forward to in that front. So when we talk about some of the issues that this team is facing this year, some not issues, some of the question marks that they have heading into this season, it's not to harp on the negative. It's the fact that every team in this league has questions. This isn't the dynasty Eskimos where there was no cap and they could spend as much money as they wanted. And <laughs> yeah, have exactly. Number one all-stars at every position and just dominate the league. When you live in a salary cap world, every team is going to have their question marks. Like right now, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have a pretty big question mark in their backup quarterback after the retirement of one Darian Durant. It kind of came out of nowhere this week, though I wrote on 3Down Nation, maybe we should have seen it coming a little bit. Maybe not specifically now, but nothing about Darian Durant's career ever truly seemed normal. So why should his retirement have been normal? Yeah, no, you're right. And it really, it, it is a great piece. I, I, I think... And this is where I allude to, like, you got a lot of 
really salty Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans about the whole signing bonus and things like that. And uh, I'll, I'll go on to that later. But first, you know, Winnipeg was a team that basically came into this offseason and said, okay, we need somebody behind Matt Nichols. We can't have a 50% Matt Nichols playing again in a playoff game and getting absolutely thumped by the Edmonton Eskimos. Mm-hmm. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have gone from having arguably some of the best quarterback depth in the league to some of the worst. I mean, you have Matt Nichols. I mean, they got rid of Dom Davis, who was their guy, was their third stringer for a couple of years, and now Darian Durant's sudden retirement. Um you know, kind of really leaves them in a bind, especially this tr- close to training camp. Now, the thing, the thing I don't like about it, and the thing that makes me partially salty as a Bombers fan. And first, let me let me say, and I'm sure you would agree, Darian was maybe one of the best people for this province, and in dealing with him in the media, was one of the absolute best. He was one of the few honest interviews you'd ever find. He gave you good quotes. Yeah. Even in a scrum, he was engaged. You know, he he knew the guys he was talking to. He had a, he had a good sense of humor about it. You know, Darian was one of those guys that always made time for everybody, fans, media. He he didn't just blow you off with those you know one line. I'm I'm just here so I don't get fined. So, I've always been a Darian supporter, but the timing of this to to sign with a team. It early in the offseason and then hit them a week before training camp is it, to me it's a black mark on an otherwise great career of Darian Durant. Like I don't signing bonus notwithstanding. Signing bonus notwithstanding. But I mean, Joel, could you imagine a reality in which you tell an employer, Yeah, I'll be there next week. And then post on social media or post through somebody else. I know there's a lot of he said, he said in this. But to post on social media and say, yeah, actually, I'm not coming to that job that you're already paying me for next week. It just, it, it, it stinks, and there's a lot of vagaries, but I think if Darian wanted to keep his legacy intact and not leave on such a stinky note, he needed to make this decision earlier in the offseason. I'm even fine with him signing with Winnipeg and telling them in March, listen, my body's not responding. I don't want to do this again. I can't do it. But to do it a week before training camp, man, that's just, that's not cool. That's not cool at all. Uh, I mean, I get what you're saying. I do. Um, we'll talk about his legacy in a minute because I don't think this makes a look of difference in the long run. Um, but I think the interesting thing about this and the, the timing of it, you see a few of these every year, and I think... It was Justin Dunk and Drew Edwards on the Three Down Nation podcast that said it, and I, you know, I was like, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. It was the same thing with um, the coach out in Montreal. There, you're you're sitting there, and you're just you're on the cusp. You're looking at just what is about to hit you for the next eight months straight, and if that's when it hits you. That's when you realize, you know what, this is a really huge commitment that I have to basically go all in right now, or I don't. And it feels like it might that to me. I don't know. I, I we, we don't have the chance to talk to Darian. You might not even really give the one hundred percent truthful answer on, on this. But it feels like he was looking. You know, he has a he has a kid now. He has this that. He's had a great career. He's won the great cup. He did the thing and he did the thing here. He I think he was just looking at it the last chance, and it was like he's looking at it, and he's like, and it hit him, and it was like, you know what? This this is a very large commitment I have to make for the next eight months, and. 
I just don't think I'm ready for it anymore. I don't want to go but, through that. But I mean, football's a year-round game. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he would have. I don't. I don't necessarily mean the physical side of it. I mean, like the right. film and the work and the practice and the day after day of, you know, the mental grind of football more than the physical. Because I'm sure, even to this day, Darian's probably still in great football shape, given how well he generally keeps his body. Right. But I mean, you know that the minute you signed with Winnipeg in February. Yeah. But there, there, there isn't the immediacy of the moment in February. There's like, oh, yeah, I think I'm okay. I'm feeling pretty good now. And then it just hits you like a ton of bricks later. No, but I, I, I do think there is a little more immediacy. I, I, I think if you were feeling 50-50 on that decision, you would have known, uh, to some degree in your gut, you would have known back then. You would have had a feeling of maybe I don't want to do this because you know you're getting playbooks the day after you sign. You know you're doing this. This This... I don't know. It just there's a way to do this, and the way Darian did it is not the way to do it. Not the way to go out for somebody with a legacy like his. I'm not um, saying to, I'm not saying it's the way he should have handled it, but I I, th- no. I I see the side of where he's coming from. Is I kind of I, this is how I think probably some of the thought process that went through his head and how it happened. I I think there's a little bit of fake news to say on both sides of what's going yeah. on in this because as soon as he retired, the Winnipeg media is coming to the Bombers' defense like I had never seen before. That organization organization was leaking like crazy to try yeah. to win the PR battle on that one. And I was like, oh, my God, guys, like, come on. <laughs> which, 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 again, was also Bush leaked by the Bombers' organization. Yeah. And I'll say that as a Bombers fan. You can't air your dirty laundry in such a public forum like that. Like, Darren Cameron being told to stay in his lane, Darren Cameron needed to stay in his lane there. Yeah. You can't go out and slander a guy that made a decision that was right for his family. Now, is this a decision that Darian should have maybe said in February before he put pen to paper saying, hey, guys, hang on, I'm in, I like the situation, give me two weeks. Is, yeah, is that, I think that's, is that uh, that's probably fair. That's probably fair. You know, but, but for Darren Cameron and the Bombers organization and, and a lot of guys I respect the hell out of to come to this team's defense here on, on, on Twitter, like... That's also amateur hour. I mean, put out a one-line statement. We are surprised by Darian's retirement, but we support his decision and we're moving forward. Pardon me, that's three lines. I we mean, wish him well on his future endeavors. The most cliche line anyone's ever said about anyone that's been fired or quit. Which is hilarious <laughs> because um, the last place I worked at, the last radio company I worked at, when somebody would quit, they'd actually, they would never put that line on there. When somebody was fired, it was, we wish him well on his future endeavors. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you, you like so. So put that out, and I mean, let people, let let fans and media and people guess that maybe you're a little salty about this, about the timing of it. Don't air your public, your dirty laundry. The Blue Bombers organization needs to pull their head, heads directly out of their asses because that was such a bush league move for them. And I can't blame. See, this is this is why I'm not as salty as other bomber fans. <laughs> I, I'm just not. I mean, if I got attacked by an organization I left, and God knows I've slammed an organization I've left. Literally on, on this social, podcast. Literally on this <laughs> podcast, in social media. Like, like if they want to take a shot back at me, fine, go right ahead, because I've I've called upon it. But, you know, there's, there's a way of doing things as a professional organization, as somebody in the media, and it's just... <laughs> they're not doing it so good on Darian for firing back. I love seeing him fire back and tell Darren Cameron to stay in his lane. There's a right way and a wrong way. I mean, the way Darren handled the Darian handled this was wrong. Mm-hmm. The way the Blue Bombers handled his retirement was even extra wrong. Like, <laughs> like, like Darian's timing was bad, 
and the bomber's reaction was the most bush league thing I've seen. <laughs> like, like that is like the way they reacted. That's like even junior B hockey leagues wouldn't react like that. That was come on, guys. Yeah. So, so you you brought up the question earlier, and I'm I'm curious as to why you think that a moment in time is going to suddenly change Darian Durant's legacy in the CFL. Well, I think I'm just pissed off as a Bomber fan. I think okay. I think in a I think in a year uh, or two, I think uh, uh, me and, and Bomber fans uh, will remember this. Will Ryder fans remember this? No, no. I mean, Bob, this... Ryder fans, frankly, are loving it. They're thinking this is one of the greatest things that's ever Darian Durant's ever done. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent, and and that and that's terrific. I mean, that's I I. It's I, fair. It's fair. Uh, it's what being a fan's all about, right? I, I just don't think that, that a guy like I always think that uh, I don't even think Darian should have played in Montreal last year. Now the haul that they got for him was fantastic. I just I hate seeing that weird this and this goes way back. I hate seeing that weird Joe Montana playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. I hate seeing. But do you actually you ever know, remember that in the long run though? Like, does anyone ever actually remember those scenarios? Like, does anyone remember Mike Madano, Detroit Red Wing? Does anyone remember Daniel Alfredson, Detroit Red Wing? Does anyone care? I mean, there's countless stories of guys going somewhere for a year, doing nothing, and then retiring. But, and everyone always remembers the team they basically played with their entire career. Well, yeah, I just think Darian should have been given the chance to go out on his own terms as a rider, and this dates back. And this is something I said on on Two and Out when I was still with on the Two and Out CFL podcast. Um, that is something I said on that podcast, that I thought the way they handled the Durant situation, it was very New England Patriots-esque. It was the getting rid of a guy right at the right time, but sometimes you have to make an exception for a guy that means that much to your team. And Darian should have been given a chance to go out as a rider. And it's fitting that basically the second after he announced it, his his Twitter avatar is back to him at the closing of Taylor Field. Yeah, I mean, Darian's still a, a very smart guy at heart. He knows now if he cozies up to Rider Nation, that's where his bread was buttered, and that's where he can continue some kind of... Be, have some kind of, you know, cliche, some kind of story, be something still, and probably monetize it to some degree as well. Like he's, he's, he's being very cerebral about how he's handled this post-retirement too as well. Like, let's not, let's not say that this is all warm and fuzzy feelings for Darian Durant towards Ryder Nation. It's a very smart business decision by him as well to do that. And you're, and you're right, Joel. And uh, on that note, Don Narcisse was a very successful car salesman um, down in Regina. And I can tell you, Darian, if you're listening to this, we got an opening up at Oakwood Nissan. You sell 20 <laughs> oh cars God. a month just by showing up. So, huh? Huh? Yeah. Huh? so I, I think when you, uh, so for me, I think what happened the last year and a bit, no one's going to remember it. We're going to be at the 2021 Plaza of Ottawa. You and I aren't physically going to be there, but you know what I mean. Yeah, maybe, maybe we will. Maybe we'll cowboy up and get Drew to pay for tickets for that one. <sighs> I wouldn't count on it. Um, <laughs> I, 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 it's honestly not something I'm really all that interested in going to overall. Um, I just... We're gonna the 2021 Plaza of Honor thing is gonna come up. Darian Durant and John Chick are gonna go in because it's a slam dunk. Those two have to go in, especially together. Um, Rob Vanstone wrote a thing about Kerry Joseph. I'm still on the fence as to whether he's actually a Plaza of Honor guy or not. I, I don't yeah. know. That's another discussion for another day. And it's gonna obviously because it's a rider event. It's going to be all about the riders. But I mean, three years from now. No one's really going to remember this. It's going to be about his career between from when he started to 13 and all that. And 
it's just going to be a big celebration of Darian Durant's career, and I, I, his legacy is going to be what it was, no matter what happened the last two years here. And I, I, I don't think that, I think in the immediacy of the moment, a lot of people think when something when someone changes teams drastically or something happens, oh, he's tarnishing his legacy. Time heals all wounds. No one really cares in the long run. I mean, Alexi freaking Yashin was at a Sens alumni classic game this year. Who would have ever thought that, right? Like, no one cares about these things over the course of time. It all fades. Darian Durant will be Darian Durant, and he might be one of those. He'll be one of those guys that's enshrined and will be loved forever here and probably at a lot of places across the CFL. The only reason Yashin was at the event is because Eugene Melnick needed to sell an extra 100 tickets, and he knew that's how he would do it. Hey, oh! Well, it was at Parliament Hill, and there was only like 5,000 tickets. I don't even think they were even like for sale. I think they're like free tickets, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so, well, I screwed that up. Yeah, so what else is new? <laughs> so the question, I think, the, the big thing that Darian Durant's scenario has raised is how do we fix this bonus thing? Because what Darian Durant did, though morally maybe not correct is not wrong under the current rules of the CBA, just like cutting a guy in hours before a bonus is due isn't wrong either. So what do you do? Because both sides of this axe are wrong, but they exist right now, so they, there's nothing really you can do about it as it currently stands. I think I might have an answer thanks to my our friend of the show, Dan Plaster, but I'm curious about what you think the solution might be to trying to fix this problem. Well, for one, I just want to go on the record and say, I again, I'm not one of those salty bomber fans over the money. If you're yeah. going to give me, Joel, if you're going to give me sixty grand to come on this podcast, and then I get a offer, or I decide I don't want to do it. You've already given me the money. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm probably going to keep the money. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> just, I like money. I like money a lot. So. I'm not mad at all about that because, let's face it, mm-hmm. had Durant been due a big, big, big roster bonus before April the 1st and he was on the Montreal Alouettes, that probably would have made with the release. Like, let's, let's, let's be honest here. I think both sides, I don't know what the solution is. I think there needs to be something if you cut a guy within X days of a signing bonus or if you're... And I know why guys get signing bonuses. I don't know why teams pay them out. But yep. to, to me, there needs to be some clause for the players that a roster bonus is no more than, say, 10% of your contract, right? So these guys aren't getting huge bonuses, $70,000 bonuses, $100,000 bonuses. You know, it, instead, it's like, yeah, we cut you before we owed you twenty five grand. Still not a class move by anybody. But, I mean, if you limited the amount that you could pay in a bonus, it, it's a little bit less of a sting. So let's say, again, the Darren Durant situation, you limit it to 10%. He's pro- his base salary is probably what? It probably would have been around At least 200. 200. At least 200. Let's yeah. call it 200. Just for the so sake Darren, of easy math. Yeah. So let's, so let's say Darren was given 20 grand by the Bombers when he signed. And he retires, keeps the 20 grand. Is anybody bitching over 20 grand right now? Probably not, no. Exactly. So I think if you if you wrote into the CBA that bonuses are only a small percentage of the overall number of a contract, and I get it why guys do it. They like to get money. They like to get money up front. They like, I mean, it's I, taxed I, differently I, too, so that's important. It, exactly. 
I mean, there's always a way. There's ways around it. Pay the players a little bit more to cover their taxes and so on and so forth or work something out like the curlers have that portions of salary don't get taxed. But I just... I, I, to me, that's a quick and easy solution. Hey, your contracts, 20, 10 to 20% or more can't be... You can't... You can't have a bonus bigger than ten to twenty percent of the value of your contract. Yeah, I, that that's a decent solution. I I don't know if in the CBA the players would go for that. Um, Probably not. Honestly, I, I don't think they would. So the solution that I heard from from Plaster was this: it's the problem. The biggest issue with the, the CFL and the salary cap is that it's cumulative over the course of the year. So your salary cap runs from Jan one to December thirty one, and it kind of gets paid out as you go throughout the course of the year, depending on. So if you get a $70,000 bonus on March 1st, that's $70,000 on that team's cap at that moment in time. Yes. So the solution, as he put it, and I was like, wow, why didn't I think of this? This is genius. You go to the NHL, you go to the AAV, you go to the average. So if over the course of a year, let's, again, you know, over the course of the year, this year, if he hit all his bonuses, blah, 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 Darian Durant was going to make $350,000, but he got $70,000 on March 1st. Well, on March 1st, he still got his $70,000. He retires after that. He keeps the money, doesn't go on the cap. Right. If, if, it's, if, he, if he's due a roster bonus in Montreal on March 1st and he's cut on April 28th, then, or he's traded just before that, say, then he still gets his money, but the money doesn't go, you know, the money transfers to the other team. So it's, you basically take all the money you have that you, a player would make in a given year and divide it by 18 for every game in the regular season. And that's that, you know, when you get paid doesn't matter. It says, this is your average salary for the year. We break it down based on the number of games over the course of a regular season that you play in. And that's your cap hit throughout the season. And that's that. There's no... There's no, there's no, you know, off-season, well, you got paid this on this day, so now this is on the cap for the rest of the year. When I'm on summer holidays, <laughs> you cannot let Dan Plaster on this podcast because he is way smarter than me, and that, that alone proves it. Well, un- unfortunately, his current employer doesn't allow him to do outside sources, so unless he decides to leave his, leave his cushy job at the mothership, uh, that's, that's not going to be happening. So, John, for at least another few months... Your unpaid sort of job is safe. <laughs> <laughs>